uh, real eager and anxious when I heard he was going to be here, knowing that Vivian was going to be gone and uh, that you guys needed a release. So uh, it was it was good. Thank you, Miller, for doing that. I appreciate it much, and I know they do. This is my story. This is my song, and I think David had a a sense of that. Of course, that song wasn't around then. Dave's a little older than Miss Fanny Crosby, but uh, uh, what a great, great testimony in a song. We're going to be following up from last week. David made a couple of promises to God in Psalm 51 when he finally came to his senses about his sin with Bathsheba and his sin against ultimately against God as we talked about last week and against Uriah and Joab and even against his, himself you know when we sin sin eventually comes against us and that sin is against us it's against our conscience uh, but David got to a point in his life Psalm 51 verse 13 that he made God a promise you see David had lived this quote that many of us have heard and we've seen it around and there's I can't find anybody that can really put now I found some modern day people who put their name at the bottom of it but I know it's been around a lot longer than they have but sin will take you farther than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay always David had gotten to that point in his life I believe when he wrote Psalm 51 and then when he followed it up with Psalm 32 um and we're not going to get all the way through the psalm this morning, but if you're uh, joining us by Internet or Facebook this morning, I invite you to grab your notes. And I'm, I'm almost tempted not to use this illustration, but I think the youth need to hear this. The curfew was midnight. He knew it. He tried desperately to be unnoticed. As he came around the corner, he killed the lights on the car. As he got to the edge of the driveway, he cut the ignition and coasted into the garage door. Took off his shoes. He did everything possible to sneak in unnoticed because the curfew was midnight and it was 2 a.m. Hunter, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> Not a clue. As he walked down the hallway, the light came on in mom's bedroom, and mom said, What time is it? Now that's a rhetorical question. When they ask you what time it is, and it's already 2 o'clock, and you're supposed to be, they already know that it's not midnight. Just to help you out there, okay? They already know the answer. It's midnight, Mom. About that time, the family cuckoo clock in the living room struck twice. Cuckoo. Cuckoo. And all Billy could do was stand in the hallway and cuckoo ten more times. <laughs> Be sure your sin will find you out. Caught red-handed, and what does he do? 
David could understand this. I can understand this. When we're caught red-handed sometime with our hand in the cookie jar, something about the way we think of our warped mind and our twisted thinking, rather than just spilling the truth, we got to think of something else like it's midnight. Why are we wired that way? Now, his mother wasn't fooled. He knew that. But sometimes we do some of the most unusual things when we're caught in sin. And that's being really nice. I said unusual. Really, we do some of the most stupid things when we're caught in sin. We just keep digging, you know, just give me a bigger shovel. Because if I can dig a little, little bit bigger hole and get in it, maybe I'll be able to be okay. Well, we just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And strained relationships in our life cause us probably more stress than anything. Whether it's in a marriage or children or family of some sort or, or just friendships. Cause us more stress than most anything in our life. But even worse is the anxiety and the struggles we'll face in life when we find ourselves at odds with God because of a strained relationship due to our sin in our life. That strained relationship, that lost fellowship with the God who loves us so much, and we find ourselves many times because of God's Spirit being grieved within us and we start to face some of those consequences of our sin, that broken fellowship, that relationship that's strained, we find ourselves being affected mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and even physically many times. And there's only one thing that can relieve that burden, and that's God's forgiveness. And that will only come... When we get to a place in our life where David got and he says, forgive me of my sin. Not just feeling remorseful, but true repentance. Asking God to forgive him of his sin in his life. That includes a lot more than just being sorrowful because I got caught. Being remorseful. But it's a change in our attitude, in our mindset, in our behavior that agrees with the sin the way God sees it and we turn around and with God's help we change the behavior in our life and that's where David had come to his life in Psalm 51 verse 12 and 13 David says this restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit and here's where he makes the promise then I will teach transgressors your ways those that have fallen away after having a relationship with you, I'll, I'll teach them, God, if, if, if you'll just forgive me. And sinners, talking about those who have never had a relationship, shall be converted to you. David makes this promise. In Psalm 32, it's, it's considered to be an instructive psalm. It's, it's, uh, it's a psalm that David wrote after committing this horrendous sin and attempting to cover it up. And his cover-up was just about as smart as the cuckooing in the hallway. You see, we, 
we get to the point, and I've been there, and I think most of us probably have. We think we're hiding something from God. We really think we're hiding it. And the more David hid his sin, the deeper he got. The more he cuckooed, I can just imagine the mindset as he goes through this year-long stress and all this turmoil that he was going through. I can just imagine that the longer he cuckooed, the more he had to think, this is just not working. Something's got to give. And David asked for forgiveness, and then he promises God. He said, I will instruct, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. And I think that's what David does here in Psalm 32. There's some things that David learned that he's going to share with us. And there's some lessons that he learned. And I want to point out four of them this morning. And the first one is in your notes. I have learned that gratitude is my first response to God's forgiveness. David says, I've learned that gratitude, that thankfulness, that celebration of sin forgiven should be my first response. You see, I can imagine David wallowing in his sin for so long. And then when he finally come to the, to the place in his life after Nathan said, you are the man. And God, through Nathan, dished out the consequences of David's sin. And David turned and saw sin as God saw it and was fully forgiven. David was so relieved, the first thing that he did was celebrate. See, he didn't start with retelling the, the gory story of, of all that went on, but he celebrated. Look at that with me in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I read that this week, I thought of Miss Phyllis. Because that word blessed there means happy. And I don't know how many times I've heard Miss Phyllis say, I'm happy in the Lord. And I can't say it the way she says it. I'm happy in the Lord. She has that accent. She says Lord like some of those deep voiced preachers. But I'm happy in the Lord. That's where David was at this point. He was celebrating. He knew God had forgiven him his sin. Have you ever met a brand new Christian? Maybe they've lived a life that's been pretty rough. They're happy. They're celebrating. David says, blessed is the man who realizes and, and, and understands his transgression, his willful disobedience, his defiance is forgiven. You see, David's sin was willful. A lot of it was premeditated. Because when the original sin of lust came into David's life, he just kept on and kept on and kept on and he pursued it until he got to the point where he was was getting deeper and deeper and deeper by the way he tried to cover up the previous sin with another sin and he understand he understood that his sin was willful disobedience his sin that blemish made by missing the target the mark was covered you see david understood what it meant to hit the mark. He was using the military term here. Remember Goliath? David understood what it meant 
to hit the mark, but he also understood what it meant to miss the mark. That word impute there, to add to his record, his iniquity, his warped, twisted, bent behavior, that deceit, deception, had been forgiven. And just like the prodigal son in Luke 15, God was more than willing to receive him back into fellowship. The word blessing there has been described as God's favor or help in a way that results in our happiness. Think about that. God's favor or God's help in a way that results in our happiness. When God removes that burden of sin that David had wrestled with for so long. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, you can get in your car and you can drive west as far as you want to go and just keep treading water until you hit land again and keep on going west and, and you'll never go east. You can't get there. That's how far it's separated. That's why he didn't use north and south because you can go to the North Pole and when you get there you'll come back either direction and you're going to go south. But as far as the east is from the west, incomprehensible for us to imagine how far the sin is gone. Covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I can just imagine when Satan brings that up and, and, and we do that, we wrestle with that sin in our life and we we wrestle with the guilt and with the accepting of the forgiveness of God. And I can just imagine Satan the accuser bringing something up before God and God just looks at him like, I have no clue what you're talking about. I've already covered it up. I've separated it as far as the east is from the west. You don't have a leg to stand on. There's nothing I can see with any validity to what you're saying. Separated. But it's only given to those who genuinely repent. Those who seek God's forgiveness and, and change their behavior. That mindset, that that getting away from that twisted way of thinking. David said, I've learned to celebrate of my sin that's forgiven. The three words that David uses for his disobedience to God is brought up here again. The same three words, transgression, sin, and iniquity. It's not three different sins, but it's just a picture of, that's painted by David, that shows us what sin is all about, that transgression, that willful disobedience toward God, the iniquity, the warped mindset that causes us to sin, and then the sin, that, that missing of the mark of perfection that God desires for us to strive for in our life. And then in verse 2 he says, And in whose spirit there is no deceit. No dishonest motives anymore. No trying to cover it up. Just bringing it out in the light where God, where we can deal with it. David said, I'm ready to get rid of it. I'm ready to be truthful and honest. And you learn something that we all know. The truth will set you free. Free to live abundantly in Christ Jesus. David learned a second thing. He said, I've learned, the, I've learned another lesson that I want to share with you. That the longer I hid my sin, the more devastating it became. 
the conviction of sin concealed. The longer I concealed my sin, or I tried to hide my sin, the more devastating it becomes. He says in verse 2, when I kept silent, my bones grew old. Now, he physically wasn't getting any older than he would have if he had not kept silent. But what he was saying is, I feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm just, my health is just declining. For day and night, or through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. The first of the Selah. The Selah is a, is a pause. This is a song David is writing to the Lord, and it's a pause. And, and most commentators say that it's, it's a time of reflection where, where the music might continue to play, but the singer stops and he, and he concentrates, he, he contemplates on what he's just sung to the Lord. And he meditates upon it and waits for God to answer. David does that three times in this psalm. And then if you'll notice it, at the end of verse 7, the person speaking changes in verse 8. And we'll get there in a little bit. But David pauses here and he says, Selah. And he waits. And he contemplates on what he's, what he's saying to the Lord. All this time of the struggle and the, the, the burden of the sin that he's trying to hide. And it's finally gone. And he just gets quiet before the Lord. Silence is not always golden. We've heard that expression. And I think David understood that here. I like what Seneca the Elder said about silence. It's a great thing to know the season for speech and the season for silence. You see, up to this point, David hadn't been silent very long. He, 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 had, he had remained... He had remained silent as far as dealing with his sin. But his actions was a cover-up. And I think David understood this next quote by Edmund Burke. Silence is golden, but when it threatens your freedom, it's yellow. David had become bound by the sin in his life. And it just turned everything toward a pale color of what life should be. And the Bible is clear that the Lord will not allow his children to continue on and on in sin. Proverbs chapter 3 tells us that the Lord chastens those whom he loves. That should be a great warning if you've never felt the chastening of the Lord. That ought to be a checkup in your life to check up and see, well, am I really a child of the King? If you've never been chastened by the Lord, it ought to be a time to check up and make sure you're really a child of the King. Because the Bible is very clear that the Lord chastens those that He loves. And David had come under that chastening. David once was a healthy man. He was the one, the, the young athlete, the, the shepherd, that because of just his physical activity in the field would have been a, a healthy young man. Now he was sick in his body. He was once happy, now living in sadness and sorrow because of the sin that he harbored. A hardy man, now small and, and shallow, withered like a weed in the drought of summer. David's whole life was turned around because of the harbor sin in his life. But David 
suffered more physically or suffered beyond his physical pain. Look at the words there, the, the roaring and the groaning that he talks about. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. That's a picture of a sin-sick heart. In Psalm 38, 8 says, The groaning was because of the turmoil of his heart. Look at that with me, Psalm 38, 8. Turn over there with me. Psalm 38, 8. This is David writing again. Go back to verse 6. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil in my heart. When our spirit is upset, turned, tossed because of something we're harboring in our life, we'll never have the peace that God really desires for us to have. But, I'm so thankful if we're willing like David we respond to that inner voice of the Lord and repent of our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin that leads us to our third point I've learned that God is faithful David wants to share this I've learned that God is faithful to forgive if I confess look at verse 5 I acknowledge my sin to you. God, I came to you and I finally confessed. It wasn't that God had to hear what David had going on. God already knew. But there has to come a point in our time when we agree with sin the way that God sees it. Not just in our mind, but in our heart. David said, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And he pauses again. It's as though David says, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You took away the burden that was on my heart. You set my life straight again. You gave me the joy of my salvation. And all I can do now is pause and get silent. And realize that you're still God. Catch the wonder in David's words there. And you forgave. God removed the iniquity in David's life. We're willing to come to the foot of the cross. He'll do that for us as well. David was confident that his sin had been forgiven. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. David had a fourth thing that he wants us to see. David knew that he needed some help. He couldn't do it on his own. We can't live this Christian life all on our own. God does not design us to be a long ranger. Verse 6, 7, and 8 talks about that. Protection from sin's allurement. First thing David says in verse 6 is pray. For this cause, 
everyone who is godly shall pray to you. I believe David's talking about what he had just talked about. And I believe he's talking about what he's getting ready to talk about. Right in the middle of the context, in the context, this is the turning point of the conversation. David said, you forgave me of my sin. And for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. But in the same sense, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. The Bible's clear that God will not always deal with us in our sin. There will come a time in our life, if we're not willing to confess our sin, that, that God will turn us over to it. 1 Corinthians tells us that for this reason, many of you are sickly and, and die, or, or sleep is the word there, but it means to die. God sometimes will let us die in our sin. And the reason he does that many times is so we don't continue to defame the name of Christ and, and bring shame upon the body of believers that we deal with. Sometimes God will bring the discipline of death. And David says, For this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. The psalmist there is talking about the, the troubles of life, the great waters that come. That God's going to be a protection, a haven, a resting place. It doesn't mean that we're going to be excluded from all the trials of life. But it means that rather than going through them alone, that God's going to be there with us. Psalm 69 talks about that. The rushing waters and the trials and the adversities of life. Another psalm of David. But for unbelievers, those who, who constantly put God away and never accept Him as, as the payment for sin, God's judgment will be their just reward, which is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Revelations chapter 20 talks about that. But God can be your hiding place. Don't you see? I believe that David come to a place in his life where he, he figured it was much better to be hiding in God than hiding from God. Hiding in God rather than from God. The troubles of life are going to come. But I'd much rather be hiding in God than from God. And for nearly a year, David hid himself from God. In his mind, God still could see him in what was going on. But David had no fellowship, no commune, no, no help, support from the God whom he, before this time he had pursued with his own heart. And David began to face the troubles and the trials of life all on his own. He felt that flooding water encompass him. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about this compassing water in the songs of deliverance. What a golden sentence, Charles Spurgeon says. The man is encircled in songs, surrounded by dancing mercies, all of them proclaiming the triumphs of grace. There is no breach in the circle that completely rings around him around. On all sides he hears music. Before him hope sounds the cymbals, and behind him gratitude beats the, the timbrel. What had already taken place, David said, I'm grateful for. And what I can see ahead, I'm excited that it's coming.
Right and left, above and beneath, the air resounds with joy, and all this for the very man who a few weeks ago was roaring all the day long. How great a change. What wonders grace has done and still can do. And Charles Spurgeon puts in a Selah. There was a need of a pause, for love so amazing needs to be pondered, and joy so great demands quite contemplation, since language fails to express it. David said, all I can do is just stop. I have no more words to say. Then he goes on to say in verse 7, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. And then the writer changes. David is quiet here, I believe, and and God begins to speak. In verse 8, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And God says, I will guide you with my eye. Guide you with my eye. That's the closeness. Not only prayer. But we need to stay close. If God's going to guide us with his eye, that means we've got to be in seeing distance. Not seeing distance from God, but we've got to be close enough that we can see God. When I thought of when I read that the first thing that, that popped into my mind that I've heard so many people tell me and my mom was that way. My mother could look at me with that eye, and that's all she had to do. And I think that's what God's saying right here. If you'll just stay close enough to me, if you'll just stay in contact where you can see who I really am, all you have to do is look me in the eye, and you'll see the disappointment, the hurt, the shame that you're bringing, and that's all it will take to correct your way. But if you begin to fade away... Instead of opening the door when you see the light come on and you choose to stand in the hallway and cuckoo, I can't guide you with my eye. We need to pray, first and foremost. But we need to stay close. We need to make sure that our fellowship and our relationship with God is so close that all we have to do is catch a glimpse of his eye and understand that our falling away is bringing shame defamation hurt to the cause of Christ and that should be enough to turn us around before we find ourselves standing in the hallway cuckooing trying to cover up our sin let's pray together Father, I thank you today that you give us instruction in your word over and over and over about our relationship and how our sin robs us of the pleasure that you seek to give us, the abundant life that you seek to to give us, the protective shelter that you seek to give us, the companionship, the walking through difficult times, And Lord, I pray as we look at our own life today that we'll be like Isaiah. We'll seek the Lord while you may be found. We'll call upon you while you're near. Because Lord, the farther we get away, it seems like the more difficult 
it is to return. So God, help us to stay close. Help us to stay close. Lord, I pray for that one that may be here today that has realized today they've never sensed the chastening of your spirit. God, that may be a great indication that they've never really put their trust and allowed you to be Lord of their life. Lord, maybe there's some others here today that uh, find themselves in a position that they're standing in the hallway cuckooing, continue to try to cover up sin. And today would be the day that they would come before you and confess it. Lord, in the time of celebration, knowing that you're faithful to forgive, Lord, you're willing to take away the transgression, the iniquity of our sin. Lord, you're, you're just waiting for us to turn from our wicked way. And God, to return to you. So God, whatever our need may be today, God, I pray that you would uh, just meet that need. Lord, you administer to us today. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to be obedient. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.